Welcome to the Bounce Podcast. I'm Bob Lapine. I am the lead pastor at Redeemer Community Church in Little Rock, Arkansas, also part of the Great Commission Collective. Our church is part of GCC. I'm on the board of directors for GCC, and the Bounce Podcast is presented by the Great Commission Collective. For those of you who are a part of GCC, you know that our mission is to plant churches and strengthen leaders. Those of you who are listening, If you're a pastor or a church leader and you don't know anything about the Great Commission Collective, check out our website, gccollective.org. You can find out how churches are planted through GCC. You can find out how to plant with us, how you can apply to help plant a church. You can partner with us and help plant other churches around the world. We have international partnerships in 20 countries. We're planting 350 churches in the next five years. So again, you can learn more about what GCC is doing in church planting by going to our website, gccollective.org. Now, let me ask you about your church and about what grade you would give your church when it comes to missional living, missional thinking, evangelism, reaching out in your community. Would you give yourself a good grade in that regard, or would you say that's an area where you could use some help. We're going to talk about how to develop a more missionally minded ecosystem in your local church today. And helping us do that is Scott Hollingshead. Scott is the lead pastor at Doxa Church in Rockland, California. Scott helped plant that church back in the fall of 2013. And Scott has a heart and a passion for wanting to see the Great Commission advanced through Doxa and through the Great Commission Collective. We had a chance to talk with him about ways he's making that happen in the Sacramento area in California. Scott, welcome. Thanks for joining us. It's great to be here, Bob. So tell us a little bit about your pastoral journey and how you got to Sacramento, how you got to Doxa, and where the burden for church planning came from in your life. Yeah, so I grew up with a dad that wasn't a believer, a mom that was a believer, so we didn't go to church because of that situation. You've got a a mom, a wife that wants to take the kids to church, and a dad that's kind of coming along. That's not necessarily the uh, motivation that's needed to get four kids out of bed into clothes presentable and out the door and so that took a while until we started to grow up and my mom's like we got to get you into church and in god's kindness at about 10 or 11 started going to church and very quickly thereafter got saved and just kind of immersed into the youth ministry a couple dads of sons that were my age sort of took me under their wing and by the time i was a senior in high school i was leading some things in the church youth group and obviously had become a Christian. We were in Mexico doing some serving things. And the guy that was preaching one of the nights, it sounded like he was going to do an altar call. So obviously wasn't going to raise my hand for that, but he spun it in a way where he basically called people to stand up if they felt called into full-time ministry. That was the first time I had ever heard something like that in my short Christian tenure. 
And I just shot up out of my chair and a kind of out of body experience. What am I doing? <laughs> and then after the service just proceeded to bawl my eyes out at like what was being stirred up inside of me. So I would say it started as a 17 year old, but the church didn't get planted till I was 26. And so it was about a nine year journey to develop those pieces of the pastoral life and heart and character that are necessary to plant a church. And so as the character developed, a theology of pastoral ministry developed, a theology in general developed, I think out of that came just this birthed passion for church planting. And, and I will add that in the early years of being called into ministry, I wasn't leaning towards being a pastor if anything, I was leaning towards being a missionary. That, that just seemed to have my heart. And so it wasn't until I got into college and some good, solid preachers were kind of unfolding the biblical understanding of what a pastor was or is that I started to be compelled by that vision and that sort of drew me in. So from the beginning, had kind of a heart for missions and a pastoral understanding that was developing in college that sort of merged together in the church plant that is now DOXA. Well, I want to ask you about that because it's been my observation over the years that a lot of people who have a passion for theology and for really understanding the scriptures at a deep level, teaching the Bible at a deep level, a lot of those people honestly are a little soft when it comes to evangelism. Discipleship is what grabs their heart and evangelism. They know we're supposed to do that and they're not against it, but mm. it's just not where they're drawn. And conversely, there are a lot of people who are passionate for evangelism who can be a little squishy when it comes to the theological things like, don't bog me down with that. Let me just go tell people about Jesus. To find somebody who's got a heart for mission for evangelism and a head for theology wrapped in the same person. Spurgeon had it, right? I think John Piper has You can find folks like that, but it seems like it's more the unicorn than it should be. I would absolutely agree with that. I would say it almost stood out what you're saying in terms of just the broader landscape of even my observations as a young man going, why can't these two be married together? And ought they to be? I mean, scripturally, they should be. There is no disconnection between the sovereignty of God and evangelism. The idea that because God's sovereign, I don't have to do anything. Well, God uses means in his sovereignty. So let's like, let's bring these worlds together. What if there was a church that did both? What if there was a church where diving deep didn't mean that the church wasn't making an impact? And that rather in diving deep, it gave us deep worshipful motivations for reaching out wide to our neighbors and even beyond the walls of, you know, our little worlds and our little communities or suburbs, but into and beyond to the nations. I think those are, they need to be together. And too often they're not together, like you were saying. And so I just even saw Elaine in that, like, oh, for another church, oh, for many more churches of the kind that you're talking about. That's just a win, period, no matter where that church is planted. And so if we could do that, and I even thought about it, you, you mentioned Spurgeon, you mentioned Piper. My mentality was having listened to some great guys to be inspired to the work in the first place. If I could do that, even to a far worse level than these guys that I was being influenced by, man, I'd be content for the rest of my whole life doing that. When I talk to pastors of good, solid 
theologically well-formed, gospel-centered churches, and we talk about areas of ministry, more often than not, I will hear, yeah, evangelism is something we're weak in. We're not doing well there. And I wish we were, and I'm not sure what to do about it. And my people love coming and they minister to one another. There's a lot of good stuff happening here, but we're just not doing many baptisms and we don't see many unbelievers coming to our church. Is, is there a way to fix that, Scott? First of all, I would just say it starts with the right heart in that, you know, where's the burden on the Christian's heart for lost souls. And I think it goes no further than look at your own life. Look at what the Bible says is true of you. You you are dead in your trespasses and sins, right? You were lost. You were part of the kingdom of darkness. And now all of these amazing things have happened through the gospel. You've been transferred into the kingdom of the Father's beloved Son. Um, now you live to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Like if we can be gripped by what has happened to us in the gospel, I don't see any other way for that to go forward than in a passionate evangelistic life. And I think sometimes we may like frame it in such a way where there's a way to do evangelism instead of a compassionate heart and a clear understanding of the gospel that leads us into organic relationships to proclaim that truth. And even if it's not a full gospel presentation, to put pebbles in their shoes, so to speak, of thoughts to consider and things like that. But I'd say for me, it's remembering my own story. I have such a compassion coming from nothing in the home at the beginning to then coming to Christ and growing so much, just looking at anyone who's coming in and questioning or thinking about Jesus or interested in that going, man, I have so much of a heart for you, so much compassion and so much belief that by God's grace, where you could be in the years to come, it just fires me up to be a part of that. So casting that vision, helping people see that from their own stories, and hopefully trying to live that out without the fear of, I got to say it all right. Forget that. Get the gospel down, yes, but bring it with a heart of compassion for the person. How does having a focus on mission, evangelism, this being a part of the ecosystem of the church, how does that translate through on a Sunday morning? How would your worship experience be affected by this desire to want to reach lost people? Yeah, well, obviously, when you think about the gathering of the church, we're committed to, it's pretty clear in the New Testament, the church gathering is for believers. However, if we're expecting our fellow church members to be on mission throughout the week, then I am hoping, expecting their lost friends to be sitting next to them, family members, neighbors, coworkers. And so as I'm preparing, we prepare with God, you should be getting all the glory. And yet we can be seeker sensible in the understanding that as I proclaim the gospel, may the gospel be preached or leveraged evangelistically in every service. I remember Lloyd-Jones telling a story one time, Martin Lloyd-Jones, about how he would have a morning service and an evening service. And there was a time where he basically shared the front end of the gospel without getting to the good news until the evening. And he was rattled by a story of a situation with a person where their life all of a sudden flashed before their eyes and it could have been taken in that moment. And he was weighed down with such a heaviness to say, there will never be another service where I don't get the full gospel and its clarity into the hearts of the people. And so I think having that burden where the gospel is, even our folks that know Doxa well, just go, there it is. There's the gospel again. And always having an on-ramp to 
that first step with Christ by faith and repentance. We lead with that expectation. We're hopeful. We're expecting people to show up. And therefore, you have to be okay as a pastor with a little bit of messiness in there as well. It's not going to be as clean or as pretty as some would like. And it's almost like the Sunday gathering has to be all buttoned up. And I guess you have to be okay with a little bit of messiness. I would think the church culture at Doxa is something where people understand we want to live life on mission. You're communicating that on Sunday morning. How else are you communicating that? By what we value. So I think you're communicating it in like the Sunday morning gathering, the preaching of the gospel, helping people get the gospel, equipping them to do the work. We gather for worship, we scatter for mission, but then they're hearing in announcements here are the things we do. We're going to be a simple church to keep the main thing the main thing. If mission is the main thing, if fulfilling the Great Commission is the main thing, there are so many good causes that could get us off the big cause, the big important responsibility that we have. And so we do this by what we value. We do this by what we talk about and isolate down to in announcements. We do this by looking at the website and you see the things that we're going to be committed to. When you're a church plant, you can't get to everything as is. You know, Certainly, we have more ministries than we did at the beginning, but every single ministry that gets approved funnels through the lens of how is this helping us fulfill the Great Commission? We are going to be a one-trick pony church. We're going to do one thing as well as we can. And we're going to kind of be, uh, kind of have an essentialist mindset, less but better to get us to fulfilling the Great Commission in the most effective way. And so you're going to see that in things like our pastoral internship. We're going to give priority to things like that. You're going to be a part of that church and helping us raise up pastors by letting them preach to you and you be their guinea pig congregation to flesh out their own gifting in those early years, you know? And in a culture where I am, where it's like once you start to become a, bigger church, you get all the famous people and you fly them in so you can continue to build your brand and your thing. We're kind of going, hey, mission-mindedness says, will you guys encourage and sit under the preaching of these learning preachers as a piece to our whole missional puzzle hmm. so that we can send them out having been equipped in our church to go plant churches to the glory of God? I'm wondering about your personal interaction with neighbors, people in the community who aren't churched people. I mean, full disclosure, my life is filled up with interaction with believers, the people at our church, the people that I'm interacting with outside of the church. I don't have a whole lot of people I can point to as my great non-Christian friends. Have you had to make that a priority? And is that an essential part of how you cultivate a mindset toward evangelism in a church? Yeah, I think you have to push that. I think you have to discipline yourself to do it because the pastor is not struggling for things to do right. or stuff on his schedule, right? And so you get home and you have worked hard and you have poured into a whole bunch of people and it's far, far easier to just go into your house, shut the garage and just, and there's more pouring in to do because you got your wife there, you've got your kids there. There's a lot going on. So I think it's just taking advantage of living a mission-minded life in every way. And so, you know, whether that's rallying the neighbors, we live in a cul-de-sac. Depending on where you live, your situation is going to be different. But trying to leverage, you know, a progressive dinner where we can all get together and go house to house and develop relationships and lingering in the court so that when people are outside doing things, you can get into conversations. And that's proven to be 
helpful just naturally out of my own backyard or at the gym, you know, guys go to the gym to, to, you know, you, you do a lot of sitting and a lot of eating as a pastor, right? <laughs> Easy for that to go that direction. So, you know, movement's a good thing. And, uh, and I've grown up doing stuff like that. So I'm like, I got to get it in and you meet people there and you're able to connect with them and bring the gospel to bear on those conversations. And so you have to look for opportunities a bit more intentionally. You have to be a bit more disciplined. But I would also add this. I, I don't know everyone's context, but there are a whole lot of unbelievers that are in our midst, even within the church. And just to be mindful of that, we come out of a generation where a lot of people believe that when they raise their hand on a particular day, that they're now for sure a Christian. And I think that's caused a whole bunch of effects that have led people to believe they're believers when they actually haven't been regenerated by the Holy Spirit through the proclamation of the gospel. And so there's ripe fruit for the picking right in front of you. And, and I see those conversations as well taking place within just the normal average day. Salvations yeah. that people aren't expecting. Wait, I thought they already were saved. And then you hear their story or whatever, and that ends up being encouraging as well. I'm trying as a pastor to come up with easy, effective ways that I can equip and encourage our people to be more intentional in reaching out to friends, neighbors, coworkers. So th this year I had the opportunity to write a book that's a Christmas book that 10 Publishing has published mm -hmm. that is basically a, it's a gospel book. It's called The Four Emotions of Christmas. And it talks about how we go into the Christmas season looking, thinking we're going to get joy. And what we get is stress and loneliness and sadness and disappointment. And why is that? And I say, could there be a spiritual root to this? And is joy not found in your circumstances, but in something deeper than that? And then the Christmas story. And so it's 60 pages. It's really a track is what it is. But I'm going to our people and saying, we're going to buy these books. We can buy them cheap for a couple of dollars a book. You buy them from us. Give your neighbors a plate of cookies, a copy of the book, and an invitation to the Christmas Eve service at church. And I'm thinking this should be a no-brainer for everybody. That's something anybody can do that I can't imagine a neighbor going, oh, I'm offended that you offered me cookies and a book and an invitation to your Christmas Eve service. Right. I just think we've got to be thinking about ways that we can lower the threshold and make it easier for our people to step in and not just support what we're doing, but be an active part of what they're doing in reaching their friends and their neighbors. Yeah, I love the idea too of even adding to that, especially for the boldness piece of it. Gathering, people live in, in communities, you know, they live in neighborhoods. So don't do it by yourself. How do you together cover the ground and go, okay, is this neighbor accounted for? Is this neighbor accounted for? We'll go together and do this. We'll make the drop off. And you, there's strength in numbers in the sense of just getting the boldness in people who are fearful of just the awkwardness or the uncomfortability. I've just seen if you do it together, we've got another family on our street that we've done the progressive dinners with. And it's always helpful to just collaborate on those ideas together. And it gives more boldness, more confidence. And you get to be missional together, which is such a win. So I love that. You give them an opportunity. You bring the church together to leverage that in their own communities. And I see that being very effective. Your church is a part of the Great Commission Collective, as our church is as well. How important is involvement with 
having a global perspective on the evangelism of the world, the advancement of the Great Commission, how important is that to what happens day in and day out in a community like Sacramento? So important. In our context, our mission at Doxa is to glorify God by making disciples. And yet we get that from Matthew 28 that says, go and make disciples, but it doesn't finish there. It says, of all nations. And we're all prone to kind of the tunnel vision of what's in front of us. Our own lives have plenty going on as is. You're very rarely forced or brought to a place of going, we are in one small context in one small part of one city that is of many in a country, but we're one country of many in the world, right? And GCC being a part of a church planting network gives us an opportunity on a regular basis to get our eyes beyond just our own backyard in a really, really healthy way. Because I think sometimes we just get the things in front of us just seem like too big a deal. And then anxiety is created and fear is created. I, I think setting up and understanding we're a part of something much bigger that God is doing in the world shrinks our own kind of tunnel vision down and the fears that could come with it and enlarges just this massive work that we are one small part of, but we get to have such a much larger part because of our partnership with other like-minded churches around the world. So I actually think it's a personal benefit to the believer's in a church that has a network, you know, presence, but also to the church at large. One of the ways we try to reinforce that in our church is from time to time, we will have some of the missionaries we support zoom in during a Sunday morning worship service, and we'll take five minutes and get an update from them on what's going on, pray for them. We want that to be meaningful, but I'm also as a pastor trying to say, let's lift our eyes and let's remember God's at work in all corners of the world, and we're a part of advancing the gospel in all parts of the world. I think we have a responsibility as shepherds to keep pointing people in that direction because we're not naturally going to look that way, are we? Right. No. And I think that's great. Whether you can get someone to come and preach at your church, you can get a video made, you can get a slide that says, look what's going on. I mean, even just the announcement of like, hey, another church is getting planted, and we're a part of that. Because we've been praying for these people. We've been giving to contribute to that work. We're involved in just celebrating God's goodness and then being encouraged and inspired by the work that's going on in a place that you can't be. And yet through the partnership, you can very much be a part of. That is a really encouraging part. I mean, let's be honest. If you're a disciple and you're looking at the word and you look at Matthew 28, there's a part of you that goes, how do I do that? Yeah, right. How am I actually faithful to that? And I think it's answered at least in part by being a part of a great commission-minded church that has great commission-minded partnerships with other churches that have that same heart and goal. So yeah, I think that's a big one. We can't look past the fact that you're doing ministry in a part of the country where evangelicalism is often looked at with a, you know, your neighbors are suspicious of what mm. you evangelicals believe, and there's an association. They presume things about your politics. They presume things about your worldview. Some of those things may be true. Some of those things aren't true. But how do you get over the hurdle of when somebody says, oh, you're you're an evangelical, and they think they know what that means? How do you evangelize in this culture, given the bad rap? that evangelicals are often getting? 
I think it's easier now, perhaps, because we're seeing kind of the philosophies of man fall on their faces in a lot of different ways. Mm -hmm. And so there's at least a, a, some sense in the average non-Christian's mind that what is being proposed right now is often not working. And even if it's just on a pragmatic level, something's off or what they're seeing come into the public schools and what the kids are being taught, like even having a problem with some of the ideology, even though they're not looking for a Christian ideology, but they're seeing things push. And that starts to get into this conversation of, listen, there is no neutrality in the world, right? It's pushing one way or another. And I think it's allowing us to have these conversations. Like, I see what you're saying there and what you're desiring in X situation. And I think the Bible gives a better picture for that and being able to persuade from the fact that people are seeing ideologies being pushed left and right. The bottom line is we're all worshipers. We're all believing something. Neutral is not a thing. Everyone's pushing something. You're seeing it and drawing these lines. First of all, why are you even drawing the lines? How do you know that that's the place where you should call it? Who's the one that's sovereign in your assessment of what's moral and not moral, even though you clearly have a line? But I thought, who cares about morality if you're an atheist or whatever, right? <laughs> and so you can start having these conversations that I think are fruitful. I've been telling this to our people. It's not probably a stretch to say three and four people in our area are considering moving out of California. Like wow. it is, it is massive. And one of the things I've said as Christians is there are good reasons and faith-filled reasons to move. And so no judgment there at the same time. If everyone moves, eventually someone's going to have to come back and do the work of ministry here, right? And so leveraging the season to say, we're staying and we would love to have you be a part of that. And the need is obviously great. And the gospel is still the power of God unto salvation. Let's go for it and see what God might do. And so it, it's been a fascinating season. I mean, the joke is when people move out of California, I'm going to move back to America. Um, and so that's sort of the, that's sort of the vibe over here on the West coast. For you as a pastor, do you find yourself thinking, I can't be too bold on some of these issues because that's not going to be evangelistically shrewd? Or do you find yourself thinking, I don't care if it's evangelistically shrewd. I've got to be bold and say what's true. How do you balance that? How do you work that out? Well, I think as a shepherd, people, especially in this season, are looking for truth. And one of the issues that we found, and I, I think you've probably sensed this too, Bob, but there has been a massive sifting and shifting of the church over the last two or so years. And a huge part of that is people didn't really realize where their church's views were until they were pressed to the mat to give a view and either didn't have one or didn't have a sufficient view. And it caused the sheep to scatter like crazy. And so there is a need to stand upon the word of God and shepherd them with the truth. People are so hungry for the truth. And at the same time, it doesn't need to be a brash, in-your-face, unnecessary push against things. And you watch the pragmatic pendulum swing, right? And what the pragmatism that could come out of this season is people are looking for the truth, so I'm going to stand brashly and in people's face and make a political stand or make some sort of a we're against all this stuff in that kind of way. 
I think you need to be truthful and I think you need to shepherd your people in the truth. I think you need to help them discern between what's true and what's false, what's an ideology that's ungodly and what is healthy, practical theology, but always driven by a heart for people to know Jesus Christ and opportunities to share the gospel. Because at the end of the day, you can capitalize on any one of these, I tell the truth and we're brash and all that stuff, but the only thing that has the power to change an individual from the inside out is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we want to continue to make that central while not shying away from the fact that the gospel and the word of God bears its weight in a whole bunch of these issues that are going on, especially when politically even, not to get into this too much, but just to say the issues are a lot more moral than perhaps they've been in the past. And therefore, the Bible does really speak into that. Scott, let me ask you about church planting and about raising up people from in your church to plant other churches as a part of this whole strategy for evangelism and for thinking missionally. Just reflect on that and talk about what you're doing at DOXA in that regard. I would just say that maybe one of the things that I would encourage other pastors to think through is as your plate fills up more and more and more, trying to keep disciplined with some pathway forward to training men unto further multiplication out of your church. It is an easy thing because the tyranny of the urgent and the responsibilities of a pastor can so easily stay in-house and that can be really discouraging because the, the heart of the pastor could be, man, I want to see people multiply out of here. And I would just say from my own experience, it took a tremendous amount of discipline to do that and time to eventually shed a level of responsibility that would allow me to get my attention on those things. And so maybe just even saying for the sake of the mission and for the furtherance of the gospel, to be encouraged to take a step towards pouring into men that can be trained up to uh, multiply out of your church and see more churches planted, that, that would be huge and something I've learned the hard way in trying to get that established here. We have been called to a mission, haven't we? And not just as pastors, but as Christians, we've been called to advance the work of the kingdom of God. And Scott is reminding us of that today. And I hope this episode of The Bounce has been an encouragement to you and maybe provided you with some good ideas on how you can, as a church, be more effective evangelistically. I mentioned the book that I wrote this year called The Four Emotions of Christmas, which is designed to be a giveaway, a gospel giveaway. In fact, at our church, we're talking about how can we make the Christmas season a, a super spreader event? I mean, how can we all be involved and engaged in sharing the gospel with friends and neighbors, with co-workers. And the book, The Four Emotions of Christmas, is a tool to try to help individuals do that. I mentioned it's available for a couple of dollars per book. When you go to the show notes, there's a link there that tells you how you can order multiple quantities for your church and how you can use the book as a gospel giveaway. Lots of ways you can use a book like this to be a part of your evangelistic strategy during the Christmas season. So again, more information about the book, The Four Emotions of Christmas, and how you can use that as an evangelistic strategy, and how you can purchase books at a discounted price. There's a link in the show notes here for The Bounce Podcast. Now, on our next episode, we're gonna be talking about how prayer 
needs to be a central part of a local church's ministry as well, and how we can be more effective in stirring our own hearts and the hearts of our people for prayer. Eric Postelak is going to join us for that episode. I hope you can join us for that episode as well. Between now and then, subscribe to the Bounce Podcast, leave a review for us, spread the word, and we'll see you next time on the next episode of The Bounce.